Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. All right, so uh, we've got Sarah back on the mic with us today, but she's got a little bronchitis, so... um, so we hope we yeah, don't I'm get any... try not. Don't make me laugh too hard because that's what sets it off. So, so laughing. <laughs> well, you're so in you're going to have to do all the laughing. <laughs> you're in trouble. So, <laughs> so if she hacks along on your ear, we're going to apologize like ahead of time. So we're going to do something a little different today. Um, we Sarah just sort of like put her thumb down on a book. Uh, I brought this book called Spider Woman's Web: Traditional Native American Tales About Women's Power. This was put together by Susan Hazen Hammond. We'll have a link in the show notes. Um, I have been using this book for a couple of decades. I absolutely adore this book. I have gone through it like lightning speed, doing like a different story a day and doing the journal prompts. I've spent a month or a week with each story and doing the journal prompts. So I've, and then I do times like this where I just sort of like, flip the book open and see what story comes up for me that day. So um, it's just a really powerful book and it's got the stories a little bit about where it comes from. And then afterwards um, there are discussion questions. Um, it calls they, She calls it connecting the story to your life, right? So there's discussion questions. There's like art activities. There's a lot of different things that you can do to try to integrate the, the messages and lessons that are in this story. So, um, so the story that Sarah picked is called First Woman and the People. It's a Navajo tale. And as an introduction, um, Hazen Hammond says, where stories like the one about Atensi talk of falling to the present world from the sky, others speak of flying up to the sky in order to reach a new world. In this Navajo story, First Woman helps people pass from one world to another. She helps them learn how to conduct themselves and how to live well. After they let Coyote lead them astray, she puts them back in touch with their basic values. Holy gamoli. Okay, like, could you have picked a more appropriate story? That's awesome. High five. Okay, so. (laughs) All right, here we go. Settle in. Get your cup of tea ready. Okay. Long ago, before human beings have become differentiated from animals, birds, and insects, they all inhabited the third world. The third world was much better than the first two worlds had been. The first world was dark and crowded, and fire nearly destroyed all living creatures. In the second world, famine and wars decimated them. The third world was roomy and airy. Mountains marked each one of the four directions. There were rivers and springs. Everyone had plenty to eat. Gradually, humans became distinguishable from animals most of the time, and birds distinct from insects. Even so, one way or another, all inhabitants of the third world could still fly. As generations came and went and the population grew, the day came when there was no longer enough food. Neighbors fought over tiny scraps and everyone stole from each other. They planted corn and beans, but they didn't understand the proper methods of planting and harvesting. They didn't know the proper prayers and blessings to ensure good crops. Harvest after harvest failed, and people had to wander far to find a little food. Everyone suffered. 
The four judges who ruled the third world sent out messengers to gather all the clans. After much discussion, everyone agreed they must leave the third world and find a better place. So they all flew into the air and began searching for the hole in the sky through which they could pass into a better land. But all they flew far and wide, they could find no holes or cracks anywhere in the ceiling of the sky. They were just about to give up when a voice called from the east, come over here. In the east, at the edge of the sky, a face covered by a mask looked down on them. Another voice called from the south, come over here. This is a way to reach the world that is above. And from the west, a third voice, and from the north, a fourth. The voices and the masked faces belonged to first woman, first girl, first man, and first boy. But the inhabitants of the third world didn't know that. It was now that the inhabitants of the third world divided permanently into groups. Those that were to become the first Diné, the first people, the first Navajos, listened to the voice of the first woman calling from the east and followed her into the fourth world. There they found a land with mountains and rivers, prairies and hills. Ever since that day, first woman has protected the Diné. Meanwhile, the bird people followed first girl who was calling from the south. She led them there into the fourth world. And that is why even today, birds fly south in the winter. <laughs> The voice from the West belonged to first man. The animal people followed him into the fourth world at a place where there were high mountains on every side. They live in the mountains to this day. The voice from the North belonged to first boy. Insects and crawling creatures followed him up into the fourth world, but it was so cold they had to crawl into burrows and stay close to each other to keep warm. That is why they still disappear into the earth in the winter. When the Dine arrived in the fourth world, first woman had already been living there for some time. She felt embarrassed to see her people looking so ragged. Where have you been for so long? She asked. Your skin is covered with dirt and filth. You stink as if you've never bathed. Have you been living like animals in nests and cave? She instructed them to wash their bodies and their hair and to fast before she saw them again the next day. By then, the Diné had discovered that other people lived in the fourth world already. Some, like the Hopis, cut their hair in bangs just above their eyebrows. Others, like the Ute and Comanches, wore their hair long in long braids that hung over their shoulders and were decorated with porcupine quills and feathers. Others wore their hair shoulder length. Still others went around with shaved heads, except for one long hank of hair at the very, very top. Soon the Diné themselves felt embarrassed. For as long as anyone knew, men and women among them had combed their long hair back from the forehead and tied it in the back, but no one in the fourth world wore their hair that way. Also, many Diné still wore animal hides and feather capes, which made them look odd in this new world. Once they'd cleaned themselves, first woman showed them how to roll their hair into double loops tied back behind their heads. She taught them how to use moccasins, leggings, and other clothing. Then she pointed to the corn that grew near the stone houses of the Pueblo peoples who already inhabited the fourth world and said, if you want to stay in this world, you must learn to grow corn. She advised them to settle down near the Pueblo peoples and learn from them. Work for them and you can earn your food and enough extra to plant your own fields. 
After First Woman left, people began arguing about what to do. Some said there was no need to bother with corn because there were plenty of wild roots, berries, and seeds free for the taking all around. Others thought they should follow First Woman's advice. Others pointed out that nothing seemed to have changed since they left the Third World. They were still arguing about food, just as they had been before. Coyote was listening. (laughs) After a while, he stepped into the middle of their circle and said, There's no reason to work for your food. The Pueblo peoples just leave their fields unguarded. You can take all you want. The Dine do not steal, the people told him. Oh, no, it's not stealing, Coyote said. And anyway, every stalk has a dozen ears of corn. If you just take the bottom ear from each stalk, they'll never even miss it. That did sound like a much simpler way to get what they needed. Volunteers offered to go to each of the four directions and gather enough corn to plant crops. Spider Woman herself wove bags for the four corner gatherers, four corn gatherers to carry. When the first volunteer returned, he poured out a sack. True to the plan, he had only taken the lowest ear of corn on each stalk, but those ears grew so low that they lay in the water of the irrigation channels and the kernels were as useless as seeds. Hmm. When the second volunteer returned, he carried only half a sack. Mice had gnawed what corn he had so had gnawed the corn he had so badly that there was no hope of it being used for seed. The third volunteer had found it easiest to pick only the ears at the very tops of the stalk. Although his sack was full, the cobs were tiny, and worms had devoured most of the kernels. His corn certainly wouldn't do for seed. When the last volunteer returned, his corn was covered with corn smut and mold. People realized that they should have followed First Woman's advice. But it was too late simply to go live with the Pueblo peoples. Even though the corn the volunteers had brought might be useless, they had to face the unpleasant truth. Every ear of it was stolen. The people called a council and invited First Woman to attend. Send four young women out, she advised, one for each of the four directions, with gifts to exchange for seed corn. Let their brothers accompany them so that they can learn how to plant and how to say blessings and prayers to make the corn grow. Again, Coyote stepped forward and tried to convince the people that what First Woman suggested was way too much trouble. But this time, they ran Coyote off and did as First Woman advised. People stationed lookouts on the mesa to watch for the return of the young people. Then they prepared their fields in the broad valley below. After four months, the young woman returned from the east, carrying a basket of white corn. Her brother had learned the rituals of the seed blessing ceremony and the prayers and chants for planting. From the south, the second young woman returned, carrying a basket of blue corn. Her brother had learned the corn blessing songs. From the west, the young woman brought yellow corn. Her brother had learned the growing ceremony. From the north, the young woman brought corn that was all different colors. Her brother had learned the harvest rites. Along with the corn, the young people brought beans, squash, pumpkins, tobacco, and other herbs. They brought rain rattles and medicine bundles. They brought feathered dance headdresses and other ceremonial clothing. Soon, the fields of the Dine stretched far towards the horizon, and the harvest was so great that no one went hungry. From then on, in honor of the four young women who went out in search of seed, it was women who stored the seeds during the winter, women who planted the seeds in the spring after the men had prepared the fields. 
people knew now never to trust Coyote. They (laughs) knew the importance of listening to the wise words of First Woman, who helped them again after that when they had to move all at once from the fourth world to the fifth. Hmm, interesting. Nice, huh? (laughs) So what comes up for you when you... Hmm. Um, well, I think, you know, definitely the, the part about coyote and, and, oh, it'd be so much easier to do it this way. You know, it's the shortcuts that you think will be easier, but then in the long run, just end up being more trouble. Yeah. And way more trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just a temptation we all face. Yeah. Every now and then, um, in all areas of life. No, for sure. True. Whether it's someone else telling us that or it's us telling ourselves that. Yeah. Well, the coyote inside. Right. <laughs> right exactly. Like, <laughs> they are coyotes inside like, and outside. Inner universe where all of right. these creatures exist. So. Yeah. Mm. No, very true. And it's it's funny, like, listening to that within our present context, like, I can see so many different so many different similarities right it certainly mm-hmm. brings a lot of that up for me but um and i love the that again like going out to the four like going to the four directions and having caused these problems and then also having to go to the four directions to resolve the problems right it wasn't like well if we just go where we started then mm-hmm. um you know like that it, the solution, the things they needed came from multiple places, not just one place. Also. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. And that, so here she has some, oh, uh, I was wondering. So I, I thought we could like read one of her discussion questions um, and kind of discuss what she says there. Um. I think it was interesting too how every there it was the kind of story where there were multiple people that were involved. You know, there were the four women who girls and boys who went out and and um and, you know and they discussed everything in the council and what are we gonna do and that kind of thing as opposed to um, the stories where there's a hero right. who comes and has all the power and they save the day and um, I think that. Uh, at least in our culture, there's a lot of those kinds of stories. And um, so that's why I like about that one is that um, it's a little more realistic in the sense that everybody has a role to play. Yeah. I mean, if there's going to be a hero, I suppose it's first woman. Right. Right. Because she's, she's, but she's not even like, we always think of like the hero is the one that takes charge and makes everybody do what they say. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. She's just giving the advice. She's not the one who's actually doing it. It's up to them. Right. So she like led them there. Yeah. Right. But it was after a calling Mm -hmm. and they had to respond to her call. right? Right. So you see constantly every step of the way they're making choices and then they have to take responsibility for that choice. Right. Right. So like each of the kinds of people, followed a different call mm-hmm. right they all heard calls from different directions but um and interesting that they responded to the woman's call mm-hmm. right right not the not the girl not the boy not the the man but they right. were, it was the woman's voice that they responded to um yeah and then seeing these like um she can say this is what is going to be the best plan but then the people decide 
yeah. whether they're going to do that. And then they have to pay the consequences right. Right? Yeah. for deciding not to listen to her. But how lovely that they learned their lesson the first time and didn't right. listen to Coyote. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to like some of the stuff that's like in the Bible where it's like, you must do this or else you will be punished, you know? Even though... Essentially, I guess it is the same thing, right? Yeah. If you take the wrong path, <laughs> there are work. consequences yeah. for that. But it's more like, here's the advice, you know? Now it's up to you what you're going to no. do with it. It's really true. <laughs> like that that perspective of like, okay, am I going to make a choice and face the consequences of that choice, right? Or am I going to be punished? Mm-hmm. And I feel like... You know, if we're looking at it in terms of choice and consequences, then it it's easier to go back and rectify that. Right. Right. Whereas I think on some psychological level, if we feel like we're being punished, well, then whoever is punishing us is the one that stops our punishment. Right. Right. Yeah. We it's don't like get we to lose dis- control at that point. Yeah, we don't get to decide like, oh, I'm going to change this now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and I don't know that <clears throat> like the teachings from any given traditional house, right, really go. I mean, these, especially when we're looking at like Abrahamic religions or, well, Judaism and Christianity, probably even worse. Like Islam, they, they have always had the original Arabic text next to them. Right. So you can always look back to the original text and have discussions about translation mm-hmm. if you know Arabic. Right. right. But in the Christian tradition, you like they destroyed yeah. the original text. So we oh, really? even if you know Latin and Greek, um, you can't go back to the Aramaic texts. Right. Like those were those translated into exist. Latin or Greek mm. and the originals were destroyed. So that you can't go back and say, wait a minute, this word has other shades of meaning. Like, right. why did you choose this particular interpretation? Do right. you know what I mean? Um, so, like like you said, like, you, you can see it as, okay, do as I say or you'll be punished, right? Or, like, here's what is... Here's what I think you should do. Right. Here's some good advice. Right. <laughs> do what you will with it. <laughs> right. And like, and then you don't, and you find out like, oh, oh. snap, shouldn't have done that, you know. But like, if we start this whole psychology of do this or be punished, right? Well, then now, like, it puts you in a very like subordinate position, right? Yeah. Is it puts you? It's sort of that parent-child, you know, the parent is in charge and the child is subordinate and the child misbehaves, the parent punishes them. And it's, um, as opposed to, um, you know, being the, uh, the creator, being the person who's in charge of your own destiny. Where, Having that agency. Right, exactly. Yeah. Where you get to say, okay, you have a choice. You can do this, you can do that. And then you will, like you said, bear the consequences of. Right those right. choices and then you can always make new choices yeah and yeah. and experience well, new and I, consequences and I, I wonder too like i wonder too how within a punishment paradigm okay so if we're if we're in a okay here's what i here's what i here's what i'm telling you to do mm-hmm. and recognizing you can do it or not mm-hmm. right like in that paradigm where there's choice and agency then i hear coyote's voice and follow it so the next time I hear Coyote's voice, I realize, ooh, I made a bad choice by listening to him before. Right. So I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Like, first time, shame on you. Second time, shame on me. Right? Like, yeah. 
but within a punishment paradigm, I'm curious about how that well, response then you're to just coyotes always the victim, right? right? Because it's like if you get misled by the devil or whatever, that's like then it's never taking responsibility, right? It's like well, you're. But just, I also wonder if like screwed the, then that's true. Well, and I also wonder like whether just the sound of the coyote's voice is an indicator that you have now slipped up somewhere and are being punished again. Oh. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like, and then once we get into that mentality, then we start spot. Then we step out of our agency. Then we're like, oh no, I messed it all up. And do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we start spiraling down and go into this shame cycle that doesn't yeah. do us any good at all. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Oh yeah, shame and judgment are just so debilitating. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really it's interesting to think about. Um, just what the sound of the coyote's voice is and what our response is to it if we're in a choice and if we're in an agency and consequences or choice and consequences paradigm Mm -hmm. um working out of agency or if we're in a punishment paradigm where we're being told yeah right well and i haven't been in that you know punishment paradigm for a long time but what i found for me um I have, I find that I have the voice of my ego and that's how I think of it, which is the, um, the voice of survival, of worst case scenarios, of sort of, um, uh, do as little as possible, you know, kind of all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I've sort of learned to recognize that voice and distinguish it from, cause you know, we all have, you know, the voices in our head that, you know, give us often conflicting advice. Yeah. And, um, and so I've gotten better just through experience of figuring out who's talking yeah. and who I should listen to. And, and some of the sort of triggers, like I find that should, you know, the word should is usually a sign that there's ego and judgment involved and, yeah, we're um, moving into the shittiest yeah. time of the year right, right. now. Yeah. Which, I know that's the podcast we did a year ago. Huh? Yeah. 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 So um, it uh, starts with the holidays and all the things yeah. we should do for the holidays. But, and I find that, yeah. that the voice that is my, um, you know, my spirit or the the first woman, you know, yeah. if that kind of voice is that um, that voice will say let's or what if we did this or, um, you know, how about we try this? Or it's sort of, there's always a a choice kind of thing of, hey, you know, what if we do this or that? And whereas the voice of ego is a should, you should do this. Right. Or else. You better do. Or else. It's interesting. Right. There's an or else, which actually is punishment language, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Totally is. I never realized that before. So like I was thinking about like, cause we, I'm a big fan of once upon a time, right? Oh, the television show. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. Um, So like I've been noticing in, you know, this, this, the, the last season that's on um, Netflix, I don't know where they are. I'm behind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. But I've been really paying attention to these, you know, dark ones, characters or darker characters. Mm -hmm. And, the way that they, um, the way that they're approaching characters when they have a deal to make or when they want to work with them on something, right? Uh-huh. It always starts with an insult, you know, like it. It starts with like taking the thing that the character across from them has a lot of insecurity about or conflicted feelings over, and like uses the worst, the worst interpretation of that action, mm-hmm. right? So it starts from a place of making them feel bad about themselves, okay, and then lays this deal out 
that could be reasonable. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. But lays well, the deal sounds out. Sounds very reasonable. Well, I mean, it's yeah. interesting, right? Like, so they lay the deal out, but then at the end of the deal, there's again an or else, right? right. So it's not just like, okay, I want this, you want that. How do we work together? Uh-huh. But it's like, well, you know, you betrayed your family in this way, and so how about making up for it like this? Or I'll have, you know, I'll do this thing that's even right. more terrible. Do you know what right, I mean? Yeah. Like, that's the way they lay it down every single time. Oh, wow, it's, interesting. It's been really fascinating to, like, I'll pay to attention. For that. I know. And start, like, like, watching for it in my own internal dialogue and watching for it in the outside world, right? To mm-hmm. see when these characters approach with hitting my shame point, like, trying to trying to stir that shame up mm-hmm. and then your in fears the, and right you know and, yeah. and then like in the in the midst of this like shame fart you know <laughs> what i mean <laughs> they're gonna like try to make this deal with me and then stick it to me if i don't do their thing you know what I mean? right like, yeah if you don't play ball yeah right. seriously it's been really really interesting so it's fascinating to think about like whether we're in that shame paradigm or or the punishment paradigm right or whether we're in agency choice and consequences and so one of the one of the discussion questions that she has here that i think is a really perfect like add-on to what we're talking about um discussion question two she says feelings are like roadmaps to our psyches they remind us of who we really are they reveal our true selves to us if the people had noticed their feelings when coyote tried to convince them to go against their morals and steal they would have ignored him to begin with In the past, it was common to make children feel embarrassed or ashamed of such normal human emotions as anger, resentment, and jealousy. We now know that all our feelings, no matter what they are, are important. How did your family treat feelings? If you have children, how do you respond to their feelings? And what unresolved feelings do you still carry from childhood? If you're at a point on your personal journey where you find you still have a hard time admitting your feelings to yourself or acknowledging them to your friends, Perform some healing act to help you honor your feelings. Picture yourself as an ancient shaman healing yourself and others. Buy bags of colored sand at the craft shop. In a spirit of reverence and gratitude, remembering the thousands of years of sand painting that have preceded you, make some kind of geometric or abstract sand painting. Follow your intuition about what colors to use where. Or perform whatever type of healing act resonates most for you. Plant a flower, sing a song, write a story. Not just and, and just saying the words, thank you, feelings, for being there each morning when you first wake up will alter your perception of your feelings and their role in your life. Mm. Awesome. Because that's one of the things I tell yeah. my clients all the time. Like when we, I call them the swirlies, right? When these swirlies come. Um, so for people that have been repressing feelings for a really long time, like, it takes a little while to even get used to noticing that we're so used to shoving them down. Right. Mm -hmm. So like when the swirlies come up to, to thank them for being there, because it takes a while before they'll come all the way through. Right. Right. Like they are children that have been beaten every time they walk through a doorway, you know? So so they either avoid the doorway or they Mm -hmm. run through really fast. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it takes a little while for them to like walk through and give you all the information that they have. Mm -hmm. But right. You know, that, that practice of thank you for being here you make me human right yeah. like it's a really really powerful one but that was um, that was a big um revelation for me is sort of really realizing that all emotions are 
there's not really good and bad emotions. They may feel joyful or painful, right. but that they're all equally legitimate and that if you allow yourself to feel them, they pass through. It's like a wave that goes yeah. over you and passes over you and then it's gone. And, you know, then that makes way for other feelings that hopefully are better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like, because um, I think a lot of people in the wake of like election day and the things that people fear to come, like um, there's been a lot of people that are calling for like, you know, don't be afraid. Don't do like, it's almost like they're trying to shut all the negativity out. Like quit being so negative. We need to. And, Mm. and the thing is like, we, we need to acknowledge that, right. If people need to take time to grieve, then they need to take time to grieve. If people need to, um, like I talked about in the last podcast, like stomp around their living room and scream. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like then to, to get it out, then we need to do that. Like, yeah. and certainly, and again, recognizing, cause I think we can't be rem- reminded of this enough. Right. But like that, that feeling the feelings is not the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the, f- the feelings just are, they just move yeah. through. We don't have any more control over them than we do the thoughts that run across our head. Right. But we can choose what we attach to, mm. what stories we spin around them, what things we say to people based on them. Right. How the we deci- act. The decisions behave. that we make yeah. based on them. Do you know what I mean? Like that we are responsible for that we do need to watch. Yeah. But the feelings themselves are just feelings. They don't, yeah. they don't mean anything and they certainly don't, don't mean anything about who we are as people. Do you they're know not I mean? like a permanent, um, they're not a permanent thing. I think that's one of the things that was, um, an important lesson for me was just realizing, Oh, whatever I'm feeling right now, it will change. Seriously. <laughs> and, and so there, you know, there's, I think a bit of relief when you know that no matter how bad you're feeling, it isn't going to be permanent. You know, it allows you to, or at least allows me to allow the feelings to just sort of be what they are and go, okay, you know, I'm going to let, I'm, I'm, this is how I'm feeling right now. And, you know, like you said, I'm not going to go out and talk to people when right. I'm in this mood because I, you know, no one wants to be around me when I'm like this, but, but I know it's going to pass. And, you know, um, so now I have little rituals, you know, if I, I have my angry letter ritual or if I'm angry about something, I write and then the fire, angry letter fire, and then fire. I burn it. Right. Yes. Exactly. Oh, and then I burn it. Ritual. Yeah. Um, and so that's a great one. And yes. I mean, like stuff has come out th- with that, that I didn't even realize I was angry about. And one of the most powerful things that I got from that exercise was realizing that there were things that, um, that I was repressing my anger about because I didn't feel it was justified. Mm. Like, um, like I had a best friend, um, when I was in school who, um, was, uh, it turns out I found out years later he was gay and I didn't know that. And I mean, I even had a crush on him and stuff. Right. And so now, you know, yeah. And I was, and, and I realized as I was writing these things, I started writing a letter to him and I'm like, why? I really like him. He's a great guy. And, and I was really upset that, he had never trusted me with that. Mm. Um, like I was angry that he didn't trust me as a friend and, and, but I 
had repressed that because I didn't feel it was justified because I understood why he didn't tell me. You know, Mm. we lived in this very small, religiously conservative town and they would have torn him apart, you know, if, if anyone had figured out. And, you know, so, so I was like, my logical mind was like, well, it's perfectly understandable that he didn't tell me. But the emotional part was like, you're my friend. You know, how come you didn't trust me with that? And the same thing happened with um, my mother dying, where a part of me was angry that she had left me again. But then the logical part of my mind was like, well, it's not like she chose to die on purpose. (laughs) I mean, geez, don't be so unreasonable, you know? So there's, I realize there's a difference between the logic of our our mental reasoning and the logic of emotions like emotions have their own way their own logic they just are what they are you feel what you feel regardless of whether it is rational right or you know and and they can be (laughs) quote-unquote conflicting feelings right Right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Because the logic wants to put one thing into that slot. Is it this or that? Mm. Right. If I'm happy. Is it right or wrong? Right. Like if I'm happy for my friend, why would I be angry? Right. Right. Like that, Mm. like logic doesn't know how to reconcile that. Yeah. Right. And the heart is big enough to carry both at the same time. Yeah. Like if someone gets a promotion and you're like, on the one hand, you're happy for them. But then on the other hand, you're jealous because you didn't get a promotion, you know? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's when we're pushing that down. It's like, we don't want to admit it to ourselves. We don't, Mm. we want to like cast that part of ourself away. We want to, you know, um, cause it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't fit the logic. Or we feel like, oh my God, I must be a terrible person if I feel this way. Oh, right. Right. But it's. When we when we feel the feeling, um, and let it say its piece, then it goes. Yeah, it's when we're pushing it down, trying not to feel the feeling that it stays. Yeah. Right, and then it starts like running the ship from underneath. Mm-hmm. Right, it's controlling the oar, rega- the, the rudder, regardless of what you're doing with the steering wheel. Yeah. You know, like the logical mind is at the steering wheel, but the emotions are the ones like moving the rudder. <laughs> Do right. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so like, yeah. So if we're not feeling it, that's when it grows. That's when it gets bigger. But if we like poured a cup of tea and have a sit down and like, okay, what's going on here? Right. Cause mm-hmm. I'm really happy, but, but you know, I see you're in the room. So what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and let it tell its story. Then a lot of times it lets us know, like, well, I'm really resentful that that's happening because I feel like I should be getting that. I've been there longer. I've done this. I've done that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it may be, it may be like, okay, let's get really honest about this. Have you? Did this person work harder than you did? Right. Do they have better ideas? Do they have skill sets that you don't? Mm-hmm. Right. That make them better suited for that job? Or do you have really bad management that's promoting people that aren't better suited for that job? Right. And maybe you need to find something else. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, then we need to have a really honest conversation with ourselves. And there may be more time. I would, I would say probably nine or eight times out of 10, like it's probably the, well, let's get really real. Like, I don't know that I'm actually as suited for that as this person is. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like we need to be willing to entertain that because that's how we found what we, that's how we find what we are suited for. Yeah. 
and having that discussion with your emotion, you know, allowing your emotions to just sort of show up and say their piece gives you the opportunity to think through that stuff and to look at it from different angles and go, well, you know, how are the different ways that we can look at this or what can we glean from it? And, you know, whereas if you're repressing something, you're just shoving it down and you're depriving yourself of that opportunity to explore other options. a lot of really important information. It becomes just about right or wrong. Am I right? Am I wrong? Were they right? Were they wrong? It becomes this very black and white, yes, no kind of paradigm. Yeah. Right. As opposed to having options and agency. Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier. No, very true. Yeah. Yeah, very true. I like that. <laughs> All right. So I guess we've sort of kind of referenced the election and Trump, <laughs> but we haven't really talked about it. I know. It you and I haven't been since, able to really talk. Yeah. yeah, since it happened and... Um, it's been one of those things I think that, um, there's a lot of strong reactions and, and it's taken everybody a little time to kind of figure out sort of what the new normal is. Yeah. And can we even use the word normal Normal. to describe what's going on? I think I have a, I think I have a problem. I have a problem with that. I have a problem with normalizing this insanity. Yeah, right? me too. But there is this like... But it's like you can't live in a place of extreme motion 24-7. No. Indefinitely. No. You have to... So it's like it's like the situation feels... It's like, no, this isn't normal and I shouldn't be treating it like that. But I can't stay at this like... Yeah. The way I was right after the election when it was like... Right. Oh my God, the world is crumbling. Coming to an end. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and I posted this really fantastic uh, article. I think I put it in the Kitchen Table Alchemy Facebook group. Um, But it was about Kali Takes America. Oh, we talked about Kali in a previous podcast, but that was before the election. And oh, so this I haven't seen. Totally an election one. Okay. Um, And so I'm curious. So. It's a fantastic article, and and I did have some of my more, like, woo-woo spiritual friends, right? <laughs> they were all like, well, there's nothing to worry about because the divine feminine is coming into it. And I'm like, well, yeah, but her dark, the dark feminine is coming first, right? Uh, and yeah. And the dark feminine you're going to face the things you have not been facing. Right. It's almost like the world has to burn so that we could rebuild it anew. I kind of feel like, yeah. you know what all I thought of? All those emotions you were stuffing? Right. All that stuff yeah. you didn't think you had to look at? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're going to look at it. it was, yeah. You know what the analogy I thought of was? It was like renovating a house mm. when you're still living in it. It's like, you know, it's like you're tearing down the whole, you're gutting the house and you've got to, you know, take out all the garbage and the old stuff and you've got to rebuild it all wonderful new, but like you're still living in the house while it's happening. And like, like, you never know what's going to find when you pull that like drywall down. Do you know what I mean? So that's why I kind of feel like what's going on is that Trump is like the catalyst to sort of just bring out all this ugliness that's sort of been pushed under the surface. And yeah. now it's just the rocks are being turned over and the, 
you yeah. know, the the totally. squirmies are scuttling and it's like, what? Totally, totally. No, it has been a wake up call. And I think like, um, like we discussed briefly before we wrestled with the technology to get the to get the mic back on because I'm learning a new system right now. But um, like uh, as we were discussing like it. Uh, oh, and now it just ran out of my brain while we were discussing. Help me remember the I don't know, turning over the rocks and. and well, just oh, the- like this this getting <laughs> to this place of like, OK, I, I can't normalize this. I'm not mm. OK saying this is the new normal. I can't live in this state of despair and anger and um, and just constantly being worked up, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, not wanting to go back into complacency and, like, yeah. put the rose-colored glasses on and stick our head, you know, put insert our, our crown chakra into our root <laughs> chakra. <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> like... No, let's not do that because that's yeah. how we got here. You know right. what I mean? So, but yeah, so like really struggling with this, I think emotional practice and emotional hygiene is more important now than it's ever been, yeah. right? Like there needs to be that space where we're, um, there does need to be that space where we're allowing those things to, to come up. And feeling them in in a safe place where we can listen to what they have to say, not make decisions based on it, not respond to other people in the moment of that emotion moving through, right? Like being able to process that and take those, like take care of that emotional, spiritual hygiene, right? Mm -hmm. Um, On a regular basis, but at the same time, not, not being pulled under, right? So like there's this, like my rational, so I'm getting to the space where my higher self's voice is a little louder than Mm -hmm. it was, right? Or at least, or maybe the den of like, oh my God, the sky (laughs) is falling. It's stopping because I've been, you know, I lived in the Netherlands for 10 years. Like they were devastated by Nazi Germany, Mm. right? I mean, they, they, they came in and took everything over. France was run by the Nazis, but you know what I mean? Like, so there are all these countries that that I have lived in or have friends that lived in. I've spent a lot of time in England's the same that that were absolutely devastated by Nazi Germany and 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 th- they recovered. Right. Like the the despite so, so, that. And and of course, like. um and now they're going through it again because they didn't learn all their lessons, <laughs> right? Mm. Like, um, which is another part of it. So there's this like, okay, we really, we really need to pay attention and we really need to learn our lessons from this. And we really yeah. need to listen to what Kali is bringing to us, right? Yeah. And process it properly. Um, and kind of get over this rather dangerous idea that um, that can't happen in America. Absolutely. You know, like we've gone Absolutely. so long. We've been so blessed for so long not well, to have the like internment. true dictator. Well, okay. I'm not saying our I mean, there's a lot perfect. of people in this country that have been feeling this for a very long time. But I think we're we're getting to a place where we're getting ready to find out it can get much worse. Yeah. Right. Like that no think- one is safe. Instead right. of just I mean, some think, people not right. saying. Because I mean, we had internment camps and this administration is talking about using, they're like, well, we do have a precedent for this. We had the internment camps. Like, 
are you seriously talking about using the internment camps as precedence? Like, that's terrifying. You know yeah. what I mean? But so, so like finding this place, and again, I hate, I hesitate to call the new normal, but like now I want to, and, and maybe I need to go digging in the library to find some memoirs or things like this. Like, I want to find out like, how did people, how did people shift gears? Like, how did they go from active resistance and protest or above, you know what I mean? Like out in the open resistance and protest at the beginning of things when they saw stuff going down Mm -hmm. to, you know, you, you get deeper into the levels of hell and everything has to be underground because Mm -hmm. you'll be shot immediately. If somebody knows that you disagree with, (laughs) I heard someone call him El Duche, which just (laughs) made me laugh really hard. So my dad, my dad found (laughs) out that, um, uh, that Trump is like not their real family name. They changed it, and um, it used to be Trump. Yeah. So a lot of people call him that. <laughs> so that's right? what he calls him now. That's what he refers. No, to. a lot of people call him that. And so I have, so I kind of have these, these conflicting feelings about things like that, right? Because like making fun of someone's family name is part of what his problem is. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, so to mock him based on his family name is the same the kind of thing he would do. Right. I mean, this <laughs> I is... know that's, I think that's why I'm not totally down. So with I that have either. problems with it. And there's a lot of people, there's been a lot of people on the left that have been calling him Trump for a very long time. Um, but I don't, but it's always in this very derogatory kind of way. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Like I have no problem calling him by his family name, but I don't, but calling him by his family name as an insult is very problematic to me. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so this is one of these places too, where it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like we have to be really, really careful that we're doing our work. And if we don't, if we don't like what the other side is doing that we can't, we, we, we need to be making sure that we're not doing it some in a different place. Right. Do you yeah, know what I'm saying? Just doing like, the same thing in a different way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this attitude that would mock someone's, someone's beginnings right right um if it wasn't the sort of like white english because that when we say all american quote unquote that's what we're talking about is white english right like even though the english and the dutch were pretty par on par when they first came here do you know what i mean but um like the word yankee was a derogative term At that the, the English used against the Dutch. Yonkas, right? Oh, really? Because oh. a, a Jan is a very... Oh. It's like John. It's a Dutch oh, I didn't John. Know where that came right? From. Yeah, it's spelled huh. J-A-N, but it's it's Jan, and it's like oh. the Dutch John. And then K is a diminutive form. So, like, horsey or doggy or... Oh, okay. right. So, we'll say Johnny. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, they say Yanka. Yeah. Right. So the English were saying, oh, all these Yankees. <laughs> right. Like, so that's where the term Yankee came from was making fun of the Dutch people. Too. And then the Yankees kind of like took it on as like as a well, proud it, thing. Right. Well, and being a Southerner, it remained an insult. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. As being a Southerner, Yankee remained an insult. But like, so it's interesting, right? Like we have this very long history and, you know, they did it to the Irish, they did it to the Italians, they did it to the Greeks, they did it to... Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we keep doing this. Yeah. And it's something that I feel like if we all, like, you know, everybody but the first peoples 
are immigrants, mm-hmm. but it's like we've all forgotten that somehow. And, and even they were immigrants at one point, <laughs> like way many, long many, ago. Right, right, long like, time ago. So, so coming over that Iberian yeah. Peninsula or whatever. But like, although there has to be have been people here, that I, whatever. Anyway, so like, <laughs> but but like, if we're just operating by the most simple golden rule, do you know what I'm saying? Even if we're operating from a place of me and mine and simple golden rule, like. Since we all were immigrants, all of our grandparents, with the exception of First Peoples, right? All of our, well, and Mexicans, because we're in Arizona, and this used to be Mexico until 18-something. So, like, the border went over. So, like, they were here already, and, you know what I mean? So, like, every, everyone else were immigrants here, and, and our, our ancestors got treated really terribly. So why wouldn't we want to make well, it better that's true, for... Where- that's true wherever you go. One thing, I remember one time I was reading this um, book of a, sort of a summary of human history. Um, and the thing that I noticed that was like in every chapter as you went through the decade or the centuries and everything was that like, you know, these people war with these people and enslave them. And, and it's it's that process of othering that we've right. talked about in the exactly. past of of. Me of t- you know dividing people up into opposing sides and you know us versus them and we're good and they're bad and and you know you see that all over the world in all human societies throughout history and and I think that really is ultimately the biggest thing that we need to fight against and that is really what Trump represents is taking that othering to an extreme and putting it out there and sort of making it into an acceptable thing. Like, oh yeah, it's totally okay to, you know, say these racist things and denigrate this group or that group. And, and so that's, I think the battle that we're really up against is this attitude of othering. And so the challenge is, can we, can we feel and have compassion for the others, even when they're not doing that towards us. And, um, and you know, and that's obviously not a, a simple or easy thing to do, practically speaking. But I think that's, I feel like that is sort of as, as humans, that's sort of our next step of evolution is getting to the point where we can see the differences and the similarities in each other and appreciate them just as what they are right. without making well, and it that kind of moves us into this place too of like moving past the idea of color blindness for example and saying oh i don't see color like it's seeing color isn't the problem it's treat how you treat the color it's thinking that the color that there's means... something wrong with the color right exactly you see the color now we have a problem yeah so i need to not see the color in order to treat you like a human being yeah right then we have a problem like right so being able to see all the different colors yeah and well i've been recently i've been watching um quite a few um uh romantic dramas that are like from Korea and Japan and China and like other foreign lands and um, with the subtitles and everything. And one of the things that I have really noticed is how once you get past the differences in appearance and language and a few sort of cultural differences here and there, people are pretty much the same. 
everywhere you go. I mean, human, just the way humans are is, is so similar. And yet what makes us seem so different is like that last little bit. And I, and I remember um, hearing once that, um, genetically, all humans are like 99% identical. And it's that last little 1% that is what makes us all different and unique. And so I think it's fascinating too that there's this sort of paradox that we are all almost exactly the same and yet so different at the same time. And, and I just I think love like, appreciating you, like, that, you know? All the stuff, right. <laughs> like we're all dealing with the same stack of emotions, mm-hmm. right? And people all around the world and through time, like want to do good by their kids. They want to feel belonging right. and connection, right? Like, so there are these things that are really, really core that all of us share. Um, and then the differences are coming in how we deal with that mm-hmm. deck of cards, how we seek that love yeah. and belonging. Right? Like everybody wants to have fulfilling work, but what is fulfilling work right. to this person versus that person? And yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I, I think like, again, kind of moving back to like, how, how do we find this space between not going to sleep Mm-hmm. and not driving ourselves crazy right Being by in this paying attention state. right yeah. like um and i think i think you know a lot of people recognize that we've got to stay awake and pay attention yeah because we got here through complacency yeah right um a lot of one issue voting got us here Right. Like politicians realized, oh, well, as long as I vote this way on this issue, I can do whatever I want to in other places and no one's going to do anything. Right. Mm. So like that's how our democracy got sold and bought was us going, well, as long as you vote this way on this issue, then Mm -hmm. I don't care what else you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Like we've got to um, like we need to take our citizenship seriously. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. I think we've yeah. been treating it really lightly it for a long it. time. <laughs> Seriously, like we're so there. And there's so it's like this part of me that that like um recognizes like I don't know, I had this sort of like sinking I don't know, it's like this combination of despair and resolution, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Yeah. Um of realizing, because I know there's a lot of people that are working on recounts right now. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, we need to flip this the other way. And um, I don't know. From where I'm standing, it looks like, as far as the emotional stuff that's happening and the beast that's been out of the cage and all this other kind of stuff, like, the ship has already moored away from the dock and is on the other side of the reef, Right. And there is a horrible storm coming. But because that's already making the tide so rocky or the waves so rocky, if we we can't navigate back into the safety of that harbor anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? That ship has sailed. The ship has (laughs) sailed. And so um, and the storm is coming. And here we are. Do you know what I'm saying? So there's sort of this like, crap, there's no turning back, which is where Mm -hmm. the despair comes from. And then this resolution of all right, like, so how do we do this? How yeah. do we, how do we navigate these down. waters? Yeah. How do we secure the sails? How do we 
keep the people in the hall alive. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is, it's, it's, so that's kind of the place that, that I'm starting to walk into, mm-hmm. right? Like, because it's not going to be okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, not immediately. Eventually, you know, but it's going to be okay like, like Germany was okay. Right. You know, it, the country's still there. Yeah. <laughs> people still live in it. Like, they've rebuilt the buildings, right? But six million people died in the process. Yeah. So it's very hard for me to say, oh, it's going to be fine. I don't yeah. know that that's fine. <laughs> Do you know what I'm right, saying? exactly. Like, it's like, it's fine compared to what? Fine right, for who? Fine for who? Right. Yeah, totally. So, um, so I, I, uh, so I have a hard time saying it's going to be fine, and I think we are like it's we are kind of like those, facing clear and present danger. It's kind of like all those um, like sort of post-apocalyptic dystopian stories, you know, where you have <sighs> the people, you know, just sort of in this totally new. it um uh it's interesting because it um you know there's usually there's this though this world was fine for a long time right um and then it got to the space where it wasn't and so it was time to move right? right um and we see this reflected in nature all the time like the cocoon is really wonderful for the caterpillar but it's not, it's very limiting for the butterfly. Right. You know, yeah. and there's a moment that the butterfly needs to be there, but then there's a time where it needs to come out. Same thing yeah. with the egg. Same with, you know what I mean? So like we, so we see this process reflected in nature over and over again. And um, I think a lot of people have probably seen this wonderful little clip of a rabbi talking about lobsters and how they grow. Have you seen this? Uh-uh, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> it's the cutest thing ever. I'll have to I'll have to post the link in the show notes, but um but he's talking about how like if if lobsters had doctors, they'd never grow because it's the it's the stress and agitation that causes them to shed their shell and grow. Oh, okay. Right? But right. if they were given a pill because they had the stress and the agitation, right. <laughs> then they would just stay in this restrictive place, right? right? So, like, and again, it's one thing to understand this intellectually. Right. It's one thing That's to a lovely see metaphor. this sitting on the hill looking down <laughs> at the city in the valley. You know, it's another, It's it's, it's one thing to understand this when, you know, the divine is painting this grand canvas and you see this dark, broad stroke of black go across, like, and to realize the contrast that's there and it's what makes it beautiful. It's another <laughs> thing to be living in the black stroke. Right, you know what exactly. I mean? Like, yeah. it's, total, it's another thing to be like the bee that got caught between the symbols, you know? Like, yeah. Um, so yes, the symbol clash is amazing, but not for the bee that was flying through, you know? So, yeah. um, but I think... Like, finding the way to, again, I don't want to say our new normal, but finding the way to continually go back to center. Like, finding what our center right. is. Recentering, yeah. Finding what our center is and making sure that the path to that place is really well-worn so that we can get there very quickly, right? Because, right. like... How do you keep those pathways? What do you need to do to keep those pathways clear so that if you're standing in a parking lot during this shopping season 
and somebody screams a racial epithet at you or someone close to you or someone in the parking space next to you, Mm -hmm. how do you respond to that from a centered place as opposed to reacting to that or cowering from it and then beating yourself up when you get home? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, um, because I, I think those things are happening a lot, right? Like the, the, the SPLC, the, Southern Poverty and Law Center, right? Um, they they collect a lot of data on hate crimes and racial acts and things like this. Um, and the number, I'm sure, has gone way up since the last article that I read about it. But like within the first seven days, I think there were 700 and something reported incidents. And these wow. are reported are incidences. Wow. Right? This is not the guy shouting something at a woman in a parking lot or somebody shouting something. These are things that were bad enough to... For them to, like, go through the trouble to report it. Right. Right? Yeah. So, um, you know, school teachers are reporting that the bullying is is horrible since the election. Like, we're we're seeing that the hate is out there. Mm -hmm. So we need to respond to that, right? And, like... And I know when I first heard about that after... uh, Right after the election... Um, you know, then I was worried about my kids and their safety and what was going on. And so, you know, unfortunately, they said they haven't observed any incidents, but um, but it is going on. And it's, you know, it's a scary thing to think, oh, this is the world that we live in now where this right. kind of thing is where not a rare occurrence, but right. is yeah, becoming it common. It is becoming the new normal. Yeah. So how do we not accept that as normal? Right. Like we disallow that normalization and like bully, um, like studies on bullying. Right. Like one of the things that they talk about then um, is um, making sure because one of the things that bullies do is isolate their targets. Mm. Right. So if we're standing in solidarity or covering people and you see this with different different animal tribes right like the buffalo for example will form a ring around a wounded member or a Mm. vulnerable member right right? and they're all facing outwards so that they can address anything that would try to come on so that's how they handle the predators right Mm. so we're thinking about like different ways that that healthy communities handle predators. How do you protect yourself against them? And so, like, surrounding a potential target from a bully mm-hmm. not only makes the target feel more Safer. safe, right, um, and, and sees, that oh, somebody does care, right? Because I think that's yeah. the thing that's the scariest is feeling like people were just there and they didn't say anything. That's yeah. when we feel unsafe. right. Right. Because it's one thing to be out on your own at night and something happens. It's 10 times more terrifying to have something happen to you when people are around. And no one does anything. And no one does anything. There's this level of betrayal. And like, that's when the world really becomes unsafe. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so moving close to someone that you think could be a target and being ready, just talking to them and saying, like, starting, oh, I really like your scarf. That's pretty. Where did you get that? Or mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like, something, it can be just the small, I mean, this is when small talk becomes really important, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's usually seen as being this really stupid thing. But you can talk to any about it. It's a about, way of sort of saying we're together. We're here. Yeah, we're, Right? Yeah. Let's talk about the crappy weather. Let's talk mm-hmm. about, like, oh, where'd you get those shoes? Like, like, you know, it can be really small things, but I think moving if you see someone 
that's throwing that nasty hate stuff towards someone, mm-hmm. right? Then you can stand in the middle. And mm-hmm. and if we're all doing that, right? Like, if, or not, I mean, if there's enough people doing that, then it's going to discourage the bully from doing anything in the first place, right? right? Um, and And I think having grown up with a lot of bullies, like they always think that they're speaking for everyone Mm. when they call someone some horrible name or they, you know, they, I mean, and this is something that we've seen over and over again from, from the trumpeters, right? Like, like, well, he's just saying what everyone's thinking. He's not saying what I'm thinking. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> at all. And, yeah, and no. I and I don't think he's saying what a lot of people are thinking. Right. right? He's, yeah. he's saying what you're thinking. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he's saying what everyone is thinking. Right. Yeah. And so I think a lot of bullies, that's what they feel like. And if there's not an external thing that comes in to let them know this is you are not representing me, mm-hmm. right? Right. Then they they will. I mean, I've seen this over and over again that they're like, well, nobody said anything. Yeah. So then they continue in this idea that they're speaking for the people or they're speaking. Right. Everyone on the train saw it and wanted to say something. No, they didn't. Like you and one other jerk saw it and wanted to say something, but the rest of us thought you were jerks. Right. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's really it's really time I think for like to be thinking about those 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 sort of playground tactics right Mm -hmm. and recognizing that when if we were the target of the bullying then it looks like everybody hates me everybody doesn't want me there everybody thinks this way because the bully and his two goons said that thing right and nobody stood up to them Right. right. And so if you've got three people in front of you, then it looks like you're surrounded and mm-hmm. everyone feels that way. But if we can look between the bullies to see the other people, right, mm-hmm. um, and see, do they look helpless? Do they look like they want to do something? They don't know how. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. it's and yes, silence is complicity. Right. Yes. Silence helps the bully. But instead of judging and punishing the people that are standing there, like how do we empower other people to move forward and what's going on inside of them? Yeah. And I know that when I heard about all that stuff, um, I, you know, of course, then I asked myself, well, what would I do? You know, if I witnessed one of these incidents and I was like, and I know just from knowing me, um, that a lot of times when shocking stuff like that happens, I'm so shocked at the moment that I, you like I'm still processing, respond. right? You know, and so I don't true. Yeah, most of us don't have training on like what to do in that kind of situation. It's really really true. Yeah, and yeah. so there's so, and then of course which can then create guilt if later you're like oh, I should have done something and yeah. and didn't and yeah. No, and I think that's true too. So I think for you know, it, if you find yourself in a situation where you're the target, right? Like that feeling of betrayal that comes up feel the feeling right Right. but let it pass through but then when you're doing your post-processing like allow for the possibility that the people that didn't say anything were so floored and shocked which is the same reason a lot of times when you're the target you don't say anything right yeah right because you're just like just like does this really happen out loud yeah kidding me like it's so shocking right it's like this massive disruptor and so it's so socially unacceptable that you're like blank 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 did that just happen what did he just say did he just say that i mean yeah you know what i mean like that's the thing that's going on and um and so like recognizing that other people are having the same process right and so i think too 
even coming up afterwards, and I understand if people are like, well, don't, why, why do you say anything when it's happening? Do you know what I mean? Like, I get the anger there, mm-hmm. but, but at least I think one of the ways for ourselves to move past that as an ally is to even go up afterwards and say, I'm so sorry I didn't say anything. I was just so shocked I didn't, and then they were gone before I even, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, just to let people know, like, I'm, I'm still learning how to do this. Yeah. Um, but, but I saw that and I yeah. validate that it was horrible and that it shouldn't have happened to you. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I think that's one of the things too, is if you're the target, then that feeling of unsafety is not only this betrayal because other people didn't help you, but then this like, holy crap, did everyone agree with him? Is yeah. that why they didn't do anything? Yeah. Right. And then you just like, then you start There are snapping. all these assumptions that. Yeah, still yeah. happening. One, I um, uh, I know we talked in the past about the four agreements, and one of the ones that I've been um, keeping in mind uh, a lot lately is the one that's um, don't make assumptions. <laughs> yeah. Because that can, um, you know, a lot of times we just imagine the worst in our own minds, and um, and so I found myself going, that's an assumption. It could be right, but it could also be wrong. And right. and and realizing that I don't have to make a decision about an assumption, right? And say yeah. yes, it is, or no, it isn't. No, very true. When I don't, but have I think the at the data. same time, also validating, um, like Im- instinctual understanding mm. and emotional reading of what's happening. Yeah. Right. So I I want to put out a word of caution of not doubting what you know right in the name of not making assumptions yeah right like well, so I, if you can see someone behaving in a certain way or you feel that energy there or mm-hmm. you can hear the tone in their voice right those are all things that are hat that are in the atmosphere mm-hmm. right that are letting you know and of course this is why we have to do our emotional work to make sure that we don't have these emotional filters that are clouding our ability to see and hear yeah. right so it makes that emotional work that much more important. But if you're doing that emotional work so that you can see and hear and you don't have unprocessed emotions coloring and clouding that those senses, then if you hear that tone of voice and you see that look of anger in the eyes and you, right, like yeah. if it, you can feel that nastiness in the air, that's not an assumption. That's, you, yeah. You are reading information and t- don't yeah. doubt that data. Absolutely. Right? Because I think that's one of the things that's been really hurtful for um, targeted minorities is that they, when they have experienced these things, we, you know, like people that want to be allies end up gaslighting them by saying, well, are you sure that happened? Because, yeah, I'm pretty sure they know what racism looks like and feels like. I'm pretty sure they know what homophobia looks like and feels like. I'm pretty sure. Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they've had enough of those experiences. And like your friend that you're talking about in the first segment, that like mm-hmm. there was this hurt that they didn't tell you. But of course, they can read. They can read the community. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's so they know what could happen if this got out. Yeah. And like, you know. Maybe they do think you're safe, but maybe you'll tell someone because you think or it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Right, and yeah. then and then what happens? Do you see what I'm saying? So, yeah. so like, 
they know what that that what that smells like what that looks like what that feels Mm -hmm. like what that tastes like and so like being very careful not to gaslight people and also not to gaslight ourselves that's why i liked about that book um the gift of fear which introduced that same concept of basically listening to your intuition and um and trusting your your instincts and you know if you feel you're in danger then um you know, that's something then, you should then listen to. you should to. pay attention. Yeah. And I think for, like, for white people <laughs> reading that book, to make sure that we're always looking at unexamined, like, to search for unexamined biases and assumptions, because they are programmed into us, right? So Well, I think that this is, is one true of my for issues. every... That's not just for white people, though. Everybody has biases and assumptions. But ours hurt people much more than others do, because we're in systematic power. Right. So like it just I don't like, know. And well, I uh, systematically, yes, that's true. On an individual level, it always hurts to be discriminated against no matter what your position in society is or Right. You know, when it's happening on a one-on-one level, I think right. it's the same but regardless. On, like but but as a society. Right. Trump got elected on un- unbiased assumptions and prejudices. Right. Like, that's what he got elected on. So, like, so we have to pay attention to that. And there's a lot of people that would say, well, I'm not racist. But then all this racist stuff comes out of their mouth, right? Yeah. Like, in their in their conscious mind, they're not racist. Right. But racism perpetuates itself through unexamined bias. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, well, and I think that's where what goes to... You know, that's sort of, there's like the two sides of that coin, because I started out talking about, you know, don't make assumptions, right? And you're like, and then the flip side of that is, but trust your instincts. And so I think that's sort of the, the there's, you know, you got to do both at the same time, right? Yeah. Trust your instincts. And yet at the same time, be aware that you may have biases and assumptions right. that are maybe not correct. Yeah. And that's the trick, right? That's part of that emotional intelligence that we each um, need to work to cultivate is figuring out which is which. Yeah. And um, and I know sometimes that can be a challenge because you have these different voices chattering in your head and one is yeah. telling you one thing and one is telling you another. Yeah. And it's like, which one do I listen to? Right, totally. <laughs> and we're in, this, we're in this space of... I mean, there's there's a lot of fear in the air, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is justified. Yeah. Like, so... And then I think at the same time, like, there's, like physical fear and this is something i was thinking about last week like there's my physical fear of what is going to happen to me if i'm um what's going to happen to me if i stand up and really talk the way that i want to and stay in front of the crowd um and then there's the fear of what happens to the integrity of my soul and like my purpose in life if i don't Mm, do you know what i'm saying so like being afraid of like physical physical death yeah versus being afraid of like soul death yeah do you know what i'm saying um and like and which one is going to be more prominent for me do you know what i mean so like and and so which one will i which one will be fueling my actions right are my actions is my courage going to come from the place where i fear for my soul death Right. Where mm-hmm. that takes where that trumps the physical death or is it going to am I, I going to go to this place where I am protecting my physical being at the cost of do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. and that's a valid fear. 
it's a good fear. Yeah. I should be afraid of that. Right. Right. Like, I think if we were all afraid of that, yeah. then then we'd probably be acting very differently. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so it's, it's not even, so, but, but the fear in the atmosphere and the fear of physical, the, the fear of physical harm and physical death, like that is everywhere right now. And a lot of people that have that, it is a legitimate fear because, because yeah. it's, we're, we're living in threatening times. And, and that makes going through this process that much more complicated, I think. Yeah. Um, and intricate and delicate and, you know, like, um, folk tales abound with <laughs> tasks of discernment, right? right? Having to choose the mildewed corn, you know, between the healthy corn and the poppy seeds from the dirt and right. Like, so they, they, and, and sort the different colors of the corn, like all this kind of stuff. So, fairy tales abound with that for a reason and we are now moving into the time where those tasks completing those tasks successfully are really really important yeah so glad that you could join us today and we are here to start a conversation not be the conversation so we would love to have you join us uh, around the digital campfire uh, you can come to the facebook page find kitchen table alchemy the group um, and that's a great place to connect with other people uh, talk about what we've been talking about also to find out where our next pop-up podcast is going to be and pinterest find us on pinterest so that article that you were looking for that you've scrolled through and you can't find it, it's probably on the Pinterest board. So uh, go find the Kitchen Table Alchemy group over on Pinterest. And for the latest episodes, you can go to our website, kitchentablealchemy.com, or you can subscribe through iTunes. And that way it's downloaded automatically. You don't have to remember anything. That's that's what I like. <laughs> so, yeah, so we've loved having you. Y'all come back now, you hear? here. <laughs>